Hello, I'm Anna Bogitskaya. And I'm Clarice Lockery. And this is the next Supremes and American Horror Story Rewatch podcast. In this episode, Marie and Fiona face off with the corporation. Today's episode, titled Protect the Coven, was written by Jennifer Salt and directed by Bradley Bucher, both of whom haven't worked together before, but they both directed or wrote episodes of this season. Yeah, everyone's just repeat now, so there's no interesting tidbits about what they've done before. <laughs> Jennifer Salt um, used to be in the Palma movies, so that's that's it. So we kick off with a flashback to 1830. When Madame Lalaurie, when Madame Lalaurie first moves to New Orleans and is not happy about it, but continue is living her best life, being a a rich racist in the nineteenth century, we see the origin story, I guess, of how she got into torturing people and putting blood on her face as a skincare routine. This is very weird and inconsistent, this yeah. storyline, because in this flashback, I want to point out briefly also the clothes that they're wearing are ridiculous. They're wearing evening gowns to do housework. I I don't know who made that costume decision, but it looks absurd. <laughs> I mean, I am, I'm very interested in feeding into your costume design <laughs> opinions, because this is the most interesting, like, this is one of the best things that I've learned about you. In the making of this podcast. <laughs> but it's not even like a historical accuracy problem. It's just like why they're wearing jewels and silks and they're in the yard like chasing after chickens and doing housework. Just puts like a little apron over it. It's like, no, you have day clothes. Like change into them. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's all of it is weird. There's no reason to focus on Lolly this much, I think. Like we don't we don't need this amount of background information that's also at this at this stage, I don't care. Like leave her in, in, in pieces. Yeah, sorry. What I was gonna say before I got distracted by the costumes <laughs> is yeah, there's an inconsistency in the character because in this flashback, there's this weird suggestion that she is like given a chicken to chop the head off mm -hmm. and she seems very nervous about it and the daughter is like you've never done this before like you've never killed and then she chops the chicken's head off and it's like oh my god the blood blah yeah you know the murderous thing rising in her and like that in itself is ridiculous to go from that and it's like 20 minutes later she's torturing a human being but then later on in the episode um, she talks about torturing animals when she was a child, which is, you know, I guess the more expected stereotype of a serial killer. Um, but yeah, that's why. Like, what was the purpose of that flashback if it was not about anything? Yeah, and also there's an inconsistency to like she's clearly a raging racist, but also there's there's been this indication that she was specifically torturing her servants because she because of her racism but i think this episode tries to imply that it's something that's not rooted in that it's it's something that's deeper than that and it's more like a more traditional serial killer origin story 
and like the escalation of it going from like chicken to human being so that's also inconsistent and yeah like i mean it's like you have like um serial killers who have like um with like who will you know like i think those two things can coexist because you've had um you know serial killers who have also profiling victims in a racist way again that's a stupid way of putting it yeah or like a misogynistic way exactly like the that you can have the the you know it's sort of like the two things come together you know the bigotry and the murderous impulse and i think that crops up so that i didn't so much have a problem with i get i think it was like the the storyline of how this (laughs) yeah she went from like one flashback where she magically becomes a murderer to another story where it's been like a long brewing thing yeah, and the reason that I guess we get this Lolly flashback is because Queenie is alive and returns with Lolly on, on a leash, which is a fun image, but also <laughs> it's never explained really how Queenie survived and how Lolly was put back together because she was like, she was in literal bits and pieces. Like she was basically just a head. Well, I I guess because at this point everyone does resurrection, right? Because we saw Madison do it last episode, mm-hmm. just like but doing no mud involved. Um, so we, I'm guessing it's like oh everyone's starting to kind of level out with that like Pokemon thing. <laughs> They're all reaching, <laughs> you know, when you played Pokemon, you'd have to like make sure that everyone like reached the same. <laughs> level so you'd have to like oh okay i'm gonna play with pikachu for like five rounds and i'm gonna play with (laughs) squirtle for five rounds that feels like this they're making sure that everybody like when the inevitably inevitable showdown happens everyone's Mm. like maxed out power levels it does does feel weird to me that they like try to because queenie is directly asked like how did you survive and there's a little flashback but the flashback doesn't really explain it she just spits out a bullet I don't get this is the power the power bullet spinning power. <laughs> I, the vibe that I'm getting is like someone just realized like oh shit we've got two episodes left okay like cramming in cramming in cramming in yeah I guess they were trying to do like a isn't that like a Wolverine thing where you shoot Wolverine and then the bullet pops out because oh but Wolverine. it yeah but it takes him a little while because the bullet lodged and then his body needs to work spit out the bullet again and then he can heal properly once the foreign object is out yeah that was the vague vibe i was getting as she was wolverine that makes more sense than what the show (laughs) has given me (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so there's several things going on with here everybody's mean to cordelia even queenie everyone's angry at her Yes. She's very upset and she pokes her eyes out because she no longer has the ability to view the future or the past or the truth or whatever. And she thinks that maybe she pokes her her eyes out again, she'll be able to recover that power. It seems like a gamble. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like she doesn't know it's gonna happen. It seems like she's got some some stuff she's working through. (laughs) 
like she made a smoothie and she put a face mask on and those didn't work so she went hey i probably should probably poke my own eyes out i would just feel like just feel like there were other options yeah i feel like if one of your powers is not to regrow body parts maybe don't do that especially when you don't like she doesn't even know that it's definitely gonna come back yeah <laughs> like well, you mm. poor cordelia <laughs> and then well there's more tensions because before we go back to the several plots that are going on that are slightly larger mad the madison zoe kyle thruple which, by the way, can I just point out that they all sleep together on a single bed? Which, frankly, <laughs> no. <laughs> Are you joking? Three adults in a single bed. Are you kidding me? The one said. Yeah. So it's very clear that, like, Madison is pretty out of that dynamic. And Myrtle. <laughs> I don't know why, but she asks. She gives Zoe all the tools to run like money and tickets and stuff and like tells her to run away with Kyle to Epcot <laughs> okay that's what she says she's like he has a, tippet, a ticket to Epcot which does not have an airport it's a theme park <laughs> just I don't why <laughs> like, what just, are they gonna like... do in Epcot you can't live in Epcot it's a theme park <laughs> also like what's she gonna do she's like she's isn't the whole thing about the witches is that the co- when they're they're most powerful when they're together in a coven? Like, why is she sending Zoe off to like with her undead boyfriend? Well, because she's a romanticist, right? Because she starts quoting Keats at her. Yeah, but Myrtle, that's not the point. Like, you you kind of have to fight a, a a whole corporation of you know sexist witch hunters. Kind of need all the all the witches in one place to do that. Does she care about that at this point? No. (laughs) She just like seems like totally just over it. (laughs) Whatever. Yeah. And then there's there's two different conspiracies going on at the same time in this episode. So before we go into the big one, let's discuss the pairing of Loloi and Spalding. Or should I say Spalding's ghost? Yeah. So can you set the scene for how they meet? <laughs> can I? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so she's like, she's torturing people um, in the, the room of dolls. And he's just like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> what you doing? So I'm a ghost. <laughs> um, here's an idea. Why don't you murder Mathie Laveau? And Lalaurie's like, but she's a mortal. And it's like, na na na. Not if you give her this special thing that makes her not a mortal. But first, you must go buy me a specific doll. What is it? An 1895 Armand Marseille dream baby. You bring that dream baby back to me, and I will give you the weapon to kill Marie Laveau. And he unveils it is Benadryl, <laughs> <laughs> and she puts the Benadryl in the champagne, and then she tries. It's to... a French seventy-five cocktail. Oh, sorry, it's yes. a French seventy-five. 
in the French 75. She puts the Benadryl in and she tries to stab Marie Laveau and she's like, it's fucking Benadryl. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> so then, but then Spalding just pushes her down the stairs, which obviously doesn't kill her, just like briefly knocks her out. I, I do not understand the entire like part, this plan from beginning to end. This alliance makes no sense. The voiceover by Lolori, <laughs> I'm like, why? <laughs> why? I think the alliance kind of makes sense to me because he, like, clearly has also a very racist streak to him because he sees himself as the protector of, like, the Salem line, mm. which feels very white supremacist. Of, like, he has this sort of, like, um, I don't know, this weird obsession with the the lineage and the heritage of the the salem the white salem witches yeah that's true that part made sense but the whole did he just want the doll and he doesn't actually care about marie laveau the the way that i read it is is very much like i just want the doll (laughs) like i'm stuck here i can't go out and buy it there's no internet connection in the doll room can you get me the doll (laughs) and because lolly is a woman out of her time and like not doesn't understand the world she's just very easily fooled and she's a narcissist so all he has to do is like compliment her torture skills and she's like lapping up everything that he says to her but then why push her down the why push Marie down the stairs that's just inappropriate it's just downright rude like how dare you sir i yeah I, I sort of half understand his plan and I'm half like, I eh, I don't know what. Just be dead with your dolls. <laughs> <laughs> dead with your dolls. Carl and Zoe, go to Epcot. Check out the um the noodle place at the Japan Pavilion. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the noodles there. <laughs> Just um, everyone mind your own business. And the main thing that happens in this episode and before Mary Laveau is attacked so we're kind of going back a little bit is that Laveau and Fiona go to negotiate with the Delphi Trust like the top dogs of that corporation because they've basically financially ruined almost ruined the entire company so these guys are like please help or please stop and I love this scene so much well because who turns up well well let me let me tell you something okay i've got a confession i liked the expert in this scene <laughs> and my actual notice fiona's boyfriend comes through and kills everyone okay i like him now and his shoes are nice <laughs> ex daddy comes in <laughs> saves the day <laughs> it's like I love the power play between the gray, like, gray-suited corporate men and Fiona and Marie Laveau just coming in and being the most powerful people in the room, hands down. And it's just everything in that scene from Fiona ordering at Martin- a martini at what seems to be, like, midday. <laughs> yes. And Marie Laveau ordering a diet sprite. <laughs> <laughs> And just absolutely crushing them in that negotiation, in that like little truce that they offer them, and just being like, 
Mary's like, I want a private jet. Fiona's like, I want a house. I want that house that you have. That specific house on that square. And you don't get to kill any witches forever. Like, never again. I think my favorite moment in that scene, in terms of, like, powerful women shit, (laughs) is while the Axeman is murdering everybody, like, one of them kind of manages to scramble away and kind of scramble into the corner next to Marie. Mm. And... She just looks at the X Men and kind of like point, like casually, very like casually points them and be like, "Oh, you missed one." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just no, doesn't care. Like no need to worry about her own safety because she's immortal. So she's just mm. like, "Oh, yeah, yeah." You must, you must spot, spot there. It's so, it's such a perfect moment. And I love that um, when the kind of the top dog hangs dad is like he knows that he's gonna be axed. He makes himself a little coffee. My favorite moment is when Fiona just comes up to him and he's like, you Harvard men are always charming till the end. And the only thing that he can say is just Yale, actually. Get axed, (laughs) sir. (sighs) It's a beautiful thing. Also, great boots on the Axeman. I will give him that. Great boots. It's great. Yeah. And also makes a mean martini, apparently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got everything. He's got the the full the full set, except you know, <laughs> a heartbeat. Yeah, it's not necessary. <laughs> oh no, wait, sorry, no, wait, that sounds really bad. <laughs> Only ghosts. Go. I just meant ghosts, not. Oh, please delete that. <laughs> um, and I think the only thing. The other thing from this episode is that the actual ending of the episode is that Kyle and Zoe escape to Orlando. The thing is, you know it's not <laughs> going to be successful because there's no way that American Horror Story going to get the rights to film in Epcot. So <laughs> <laughs> just what I really want to see. Them on the Frozen ride. Because you know how he's Kyle's all like, oh, this just, I can't, I'm so scared. I have powers that I can't control. It's what like, well, you know powers, what you should Kyle? do you should do in Epcot is you should go on the Frozen ride and learn about the story of Elsa. (laughs) 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 Who also had powers that she couldn't control and was scared that she would hurt people. But then she learned to let it go. And you'll see that demonstrated in a 15-minute boat ride with exciting backwards drop. So. I... (laughs) Okay. <laughs> so I spent like a whole day in Epcot on my own like <laughs> two years ago and it was just the nicest day. I I love <laughs> the connection and and the, I, as you were describing that I just I was just imagining Kyle on that ride. And you're right, it's never gonna happen. But now that image lives in my head forever. Well, also because the frozen ride did not exist at this time. At this point it was just the standard Norway ride. Which had trolls in it, so he could still have a good time. American Horror Story will not be contained by the rules of time and (laughs) historical accuracy, Clarice. Exactly. (laughs) Look, and now American Horror Story is owned by Disney, so they can go back and they can do it. This is true. This is true. Um, Is there anything that we haven't discussed that happens in this episode before we move on to our categories? Um, I don't think we covered everything. Yeah. 
So let's move on to our categories now. What was your top quote of the episode? <laughs> okay, this is something that Modal says, like, and it's partially just in the background of a conversation where the gardener at one point comes in and says that he like cut his hand on the fig tree mm -hmm. or taking figs. And she says, ah, figs, Mother Nature's brown diamond. In full, the rotting leaves smell like an Olympiad's ejaculate. <laughs> what a great, I want to be that. I also really loved it when she was really getting into the soup and she's like, Cuban, coconut, cardamom. <laughs> Oh, she's, I want to be that. <laughs> like, I I truly envy anyone who can basically have, like, a, a some sort of orgasmic relationship with cardamom. <laughs> okay, Myrtle. And also be able to just immediately, like, know what's in the soup. Oh, identify the, the, the ingredients? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've always been very jealous of that, of people who can do that. Yeah. Um... I I genuinely cannot pick because there are so many stupid lines in this, moment, in this episode that I love so much. Yes. And I cannot do as good a mortal as you can. But I think I'm going to go with Fiona line, which is not as awful. It's actually something that I stand by. And it's when she tells the Delphi CEO, whatever, it's like, God knows all the money in the world can't buy good taste. Because she uh, makes them like she makes them like yeah you're gonna give me your house but also you're gonna paint it first because you're tacky. Amazing. Also, Amazing. she's got a great exchange with with your man with the axe man, and it's so cringy. I had to watch it three times. Is it the bit at the end? Yeah. No, it's a bit before the end. Oh, but also, the okay. bit at the end is bad, like in the, in a good way. When he says, I love you more than jazz, baby doll. And she says, you make a hell of a martini, mister. I want someone to tell me that they love me more than jazz. <laughs> I swear to God, if, if anyone calls me baby doll, I will leave them that very second. Really? Yes. Oh, I think it's cute. It's sort of like so old fashioned that I don't mind it. If it's like an inside joke that's ironic, fine. But if someone, oh, someone on a dating app once opened with like a Missy. Oh no, that's disgusting. And I was like, absolutely not. And unmatched immediately. A baby doll's like retro enough that this would not be like a, an opening line. <laughs> <laughs> but if if said man had just murdered an entire room of capitalists <laughs> and Fair. said I love you more than jazz baby doll and then maybe you go in a you go in a coop and you go do some crimes that I'm okay with. That's that's a lot of context. <laughs> <laughs> that's cute to me. I'm just gonna Yeah, say maybe it's the context of the baby doll and probably ninety nine point nine percent of people could not pull it off <laughs> i don't think he would say this but i think the only person i would allow this from is 1970s franklin jella that's the only person yeah like that type yeah you see there's certain people who could pull it off danny houston definitely can definitely see yeah this is the thing maybe the the context is that you have to be Danny Houston. <laughs> it's a very it's a niche it's a it niche of niche. one 
It's niche of one. <laughs> so, um, I don't think there was a song in this episode, so we're going to skip the best song one. And let's go to your favorite fit of the episode. I liked uh, Maggie's funeral dress at the beginning. Oh. The proportions on it were so perfect because she had the very slim black dress, long sleeves with like a Mm -hmm. snake design on it. The giant earrings, which just (laughs) looks so perfect. And then the toe, and then it's like just something about it. All the lines were right. I just, it looked great. And she looked great in it. Amazing. I think my favorite one was also Mary Laveau one, but it was her pajamas. Because she oh. had like the golden um headdress. It was like um long. It looked like silk, black silk pajamas with like sort of golden embroidery on them. And she had these things. I think they looked like velvet slippers. Yes. And she was kind of giggling and making fun of Lolly and kind of having French 75s and on her way to bed. And you know what? Like that's if that isn't self-care, I don't know what is. Oh wait, who said this? I forgot who said this. Someone says go to hell, witch bitch. Oh yeah, yeah, that's my one. That's mine too. I enjoyed that. That's actually Who said that? I completely forgot. It's during the massacre because the line underneath is I love you more than Jazz baby doll. <laughs> I think it was the Delphi CEO. And then immediately after Fiona, like, smashes his head in with an axe. Okay. Yes. I would also like to point out that Witch Bitch is the title of a 1988 horror film. Also called The Death Spa. Oh, The Death Spa? Yeah. I want to go there. It's it's about, like, the spirit. I saw... I only know this because I picked up the VHS of it at some um at a festival years ago and it's kind of stuck in my head. <laughs> and I reminded myself of the of the plot of it and it's about the spirit of a woman, the wife of a gym owner who possesses the technology in the gym and she murders the gym members through the machines. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> not a knowing reference at all but a good pun so good that it has its own film it's a good pun and moving on to the mvp of the episode who would you pick Mm. are you gonna say the axe man (laughs) i will do you know what yes the i will agree the axe man wins this episode because he does a favor for his for his lady friend. He makes a mm-hmm. mean martini. He mm-hmm. wears very nice boots. He only brings up jazz once. <laughs> which is a lot for anyone who's into jazz. Um yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let me have this one. I I'm with you. He's my MVP okay. of the episode too. Good. Thank you. <laughs> is there any other reason why you would make him the MVP? Because he loves him more than Jazz, baby doll. (laughs) (laughs) Also, can we just talk about when Fiona leaves? And she literally says, My man swung a mighty axe. I have to go reward him. And giggles like a little (laughs) schoolgirl. They're gonna have sex. They're gonna do it. They're gonna have (laughs) S-E-X. I'm happy for them. Did you pick up on any insensitive historical references this week? 
Well, not insensitive, mm-hmm. but Myrtle does mention she gives Zoe a sapphire and topaz harvester ant mm-hmm. to sell, that she should sell it at Epcot. <laughs> there's a pawn shop in Epcot, obviously, in the United Kingdom pavilion. <laughs> and there, there isn't. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, this Epcot plan is really confusing to me. <laughs> um, and she says that it was created by Joel Arthur Rosenthal, who mm-hmm. is an American. He's still around. He's an American jeweler who works in in Paris and is is as she says the Fabergé of our time. What I found interesting is that his shop. There's no sign. There's no like shop window no indication it exists and you're only allowed in so entries made on the sponsorship of a known customer and for persons whose name excludes any ambiguity what <laughs> so it's like a magic shop <laughs> illuminati shop you can only get in if you already know it exists wow um, and so he makes just like a bunch of different pieces that are usually based on flora and fauna. Uh-huh. I had a Google actually don't like most of it. <laughs> kind of <laughs> ugly. It's like bedazzled like flowers, but it's quite garish. Um, so dunk. <laughs> um, as he reportedly designed Gwyneth Paltrow's engagement ring. So there's kind of an, a Ryan Murphy connection. Wow. Um, and then Myrtle also mentions that she says, you can never pull it off, darling, and says that only she and Lee Radziwill could pull it off. And she was the younger sister of Jackie Kennedy, and she was married three times, once to a Polish prince. Um, and the interesting fact about her is she was the one who originally hired Albert and David um, Maisel's to film Big Edie and Little Edie, who mm. were her aunt and cousin, and then they didn't use any of that footage, but that was the experience that inspired them to make mm-hmm. Grey Gardens, the classic documentary about, uh, you know. <laughs> that was a crazy, journey. Crazy rich people. <laughs> that was an amazing journey. You know Ryan Murphy loves Grey Garden, so it kind of like yeah. links back. Because it's like okay. fabulous. I'm surprised that the Grey Gardens is not featured in American Horror Story because it's so such a perfect, like, you know, like eccentric, fabulous, rich, uh, older woman, um, sort of like corrupted by her own like vanity and self obsession. It's like she is kind. She was kind of an American Horror Story character, Big Edie. <laughs> yeah, she should- also they're so easily recognizable. They could have just like popped up in the same way as Stevie Nicks popped up. And wasn't Jessica Lange in the TV adaptation of it? Did I make that up? The one with Drew Barrymore? Wait, wait, wait. It was, it was. It was Jessica Lange? Yeah, Big Edie was oh. played by Jessica Lange. That's why I was thinking she's just an American yes. horror story character. You're right. Oh, that is weird. That's so weird because it, it's so like up Ryan Murphy Street. I'm really confused why this has not been covered yet hmm. in any way. Oh, it was even, it was made before, like in 2009, way before he made even the first season of AHS. And I think that's it for this episode. What can we expect from the next one? Well, in the next episode, it's just, it's the finale. Yeah, everything's coming to a head. 
Yeah, who's going to come out on top? Axe Man. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's the next supreme. You are just wanting an American Horror Story season dedicated to the Axe Man, don't you? Yes. Yes. Well, no, maybe I don't want to find out more about him. <laughs> who could play a younger version of the Axe Man? Oh, I know who you're going to say. Who? Um, I don't know. Finn. Play? Finn. Uh, yeah. Well, he's just been playing iterations of the X Men <laughs> for. It's oh, it's like his character from La La Land, <laughs> but he's the X Man. Yeah, he's like a millennial X Man. Yeah, and that's just Patrick Bateman, isn't it? <laughs> well, I think there's a very specific <laughs> version of a millennial jazz obsessed X Man that I would frankly say I would watch that. It's Ryan Gosling's character in La La Land. <laughs> That's what you didn't see was happening off screen. Uh, after he breaks up with Emma Stone, just gets out an axe. <laughs> Starts axing everybody. So many bodies buried under that club. <laughs> I mean, there's not that much difference between their characters, right? No, there's not. Literally which is, the, which is the why axe. I cannot accept that the you axing. fancy him so much. Yeah, but I also love... Sebastian and La La Land, and I know it's wrong. Oh, God. And it's unhealthy. But. <laughs> when are we back? <laughs> Never. <laughs> the podcast is over. I'm sorry. <laughs> I went, I destroyed it with my stupidity. We can't do it anymore. We will be back. I was joking. <laughs> We'll be back next Wednesday. In the meantime, send us your thoughts on Twitter. Follow us at Next Supreme Pod. Also, you can find me at Clarice Lou. And I am at Anna B. Demented. Just send us your thoughts on the Axeman. I'm really curious now. Like, no, this, don't. <laughs> is pro Axeman. Like, let's do a poll. Pro con Axeman. Would you? Would you? Would you? <laughs> <laughs> I do love his shoes. Yeah, the shoes are good. The shoes are good. His martini is good. He's good at murder. Here's a poll. How much jazz is too much jazz? All jazz. <laughs> no! <laughs> I know it's the worst thing about me that I just cannot get into jazz. I've tried so hard and now I've just, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs>